we find ourselves in the most difficult, saddest part of this letter. This is the condemnation section. It began in chapter 1, verse 18, and runs all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. And uh, Paul, in writing to the Romans, is dealing with uh, a, a challenge that has happened in the church at Rome. And as he's dealing with this challenge, he's dealing with replacement theology. And in dealing with this, he is wanting to present a theology of the gospel. He wants to give to the church at Rome God's heart and God's thought in relationship to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in response to the gospel, it, it should be the church's uh, acceptance that we love everyone and we want everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we are unwilling to compromise the Word of God. If you want to be saved, you got to be saved God's way. Uh, you can't be saved your way. And that's kind, of what, that's kind of what Paul's dealing with in relationship to this replacement theology. Uh, you see, replacement theology says the church takes or it's replaced by all the blessings and promises that was offered to the Jews. And uh, this is, this is a, uh, an unbiblical doctrine. It is not right. It is practiced today. But Paul is dealing with this in this letter to the Romans. And basically what he says in this particular section is that we're all condemned. All humanity is condemned. And to cover that statement, he basically says, I want to deal with four groups of people in relationship to the condemnation or the judgment of God. And the first people he wants to deal with is the heathens. That is the Gentile nations. He says, to the Gentile nations, you are under God's wrath. And you're under God's wrath because you have been participating in all of these ungodly things. And when you knew God, you did not glorify Him as God, neither were you thankful, but you became empty in your thoughts and in your imaginations. You became educated far beyond your own intelligence. And in doing so... There is no excuse for you in relationship to the judgment of God. You will be judged by God. Then the second one that he dealt with was the moralist. That's what we dealt with last week. He says, now there are some of you that are reading this letter that says, man, I thank God I am not a Gentile. I am glad I'm not a Gentile, but I'm neither a Jew. I am a moralist. I hold to the fact that I have very high morals. I have a very high standard of values and I am trust and dependent upon that to get me and to make me right with God. Paul says, no, that's not accurate too. You are without excuse as well because your goodness is as filthy rags. You will not stand before God and say, I was a good person. I didn't murder anybody. He says, no, you're without excuse. You must come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to deal with two other people. He's going to first deal today with the Jews specifically. Now, when he deals with the Jews, it starts in chapter 2, verse 17, and it runs all the way down to, ver to chapter 3, verse number 8. Now, remember, Paul's ultimate goal is to get to the fact that Jesus Christ died in our place, and the only way to get to heaven is to come through Christ. That's his goal. He wants to get there. But before he does, and before we see the sweetness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he deals with the condemnation or, if you'd like, God's judgment upon the Jews. Now, how does that relate to us today? Because this, this is a Gentile 
pretty much a Gentile church. Uh, if you're a Jew, I am grateful that you're here. If you're a Christian Jew, I'm grateful for that. Thank God for the Messianic Jews that exist today. Uh, but in relationship to the overarching establishment of Maysville Baptist Church, this is a Gentile congregation. So then how can we interpret this by way of application to our lives? Well, uh, the one thing that we look at when you read a passage of Scripture like this, and it's given specifically to a group of people, what are the areas of that group that are directly tied to us? And what is tied to us in today's culture is religion. So what we can see here and find here in this passage of Scripture is really the condemnation of the religious. If you're a religious individual, your religion will not get you to heaven. There are religions out there today with pomp and circumstance that do everything in their power to say, if you participate in these sacraments, if you participate in uh, this particular class, then you will be right with God and you will go to heaven. And Paul is going to deal with this in relationship to religion. Religion does not save anyone. Notice what Paul says Chapter number 2, beginning, if you would, in verse number 17. If I could, I may pause parenthetically here and there just to give you reference to where I'm at. And the first thing I'd like to say is about the word behold. The word behold, and, and throughout the course of this, this is probably, this section of Scripture is one of the most thick paragraphs in relationship to the 1611 English. You're going to see a lot of words with E-S-T at the end of it if you read out of the King James Bible. And so, in, and that's what I'm reading out of this morning. So in doing so, let me just encourage you to hang in there. Uh, I'm going to do the best that I can in relationship to bring it up into our current culture if possible. Uh, so I might take out the E-S-T in many of these uh, words, but it is thick in, in old 1611 English. But the word behold in this passage of Scripture in verse number 17 carries the idea, but wait, but wait. Behold, but wait, is what Paul's saying. So, behold, but wait. Are you called a Jew? And do you rest in the law? And do you make your boast of God? And knowest His will? And approvest the things that are more excellent? Being instructed out of the law? And out there confident that thou thyself art a guide to the blind and light to them that are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes, which thou hast the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. Thou therefore art teachers of another, but do you teach yourself? You preach as a man should not steal, but do you steal? You that say that man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhorrest idols, do you commit sacrilege? Thou that makest your boast about the law, through though breaking the law, dishonoreth thou God? For the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles uh, through you, as it is written. Now, let me say something parenthetically right here. You can tell just by the tone of his voice, Paul, in reading what he's saying, he's pretty upset about this. He's pretty upset that the fact that the Jews, and, and rightly so, for he is one, he, he's saying, look, 
It is written in the Old Testament that the Gentiles are blaspheming God because of you. And here you are in a situation where replacement theology has taken over. Why? Because you do not follow what you say you follow. You say that you're a religious person. You say you follow this religiosity. But it's not doing anything but condemning you before a holy and righteous God. Verse 25. He gets a little bit more personal. He says... For circumcision verily profiteth, uh, profiteth if, if thou keep the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Here we go, dealing with this issue uh, of this, the, these rights that they have. So the Jews are saying, well, because we're circumcised, we're God's chosen people. We're untouchables. We can do no wrong before God. He says, wait a minute. This isn't right. Verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the law our circumcision does not transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward of the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is, uh, is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Again, here is Paul just laying the groundwork on the fact that you can't do or participate in a religious rite and that save you. In this case, he's talking about circumcision. In the case of, of our culture, we're, what, what we're living in today, are there any religions out there that say that in order for you to go to heaven, that you've got to participate in these particular things? You've got to do this, 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 and this in order for you to be right with God. He's saying this does not save you. In the case of you Jews, it's circumcision. You think because you're circumcised that you're going to heaven, and the fact of the matter is it's sending you under the judgment of God, which will ultimately produce your demise, and you will go to hell. Why? Religion does not save you. And then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, what's the advantage then to being a Jew? What is the advantage? Or what is it profit then in regards to circumcision? And then he answers and says, much in every way. Chiefly, so he says, I'm going to tell you just, here's one specific area that it is very uh, important. Because that unto them, in regards to Jews, were committed the oracles of God. Period. Jews, circumcision is important because it was given to you as a sign in regards to the very words of God to tell you that the Messiah was coming. And yet they rejected the Messiah. And they wanted to put in place these, uh, these, these things, circumcision, keeping the law, in order for them to go to heaven. So he goes in verse number 2. He, or excuse me, verse 3. He says, For what if someone did not believe? Shall their unbelief make, uh, the, the, uh, make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yes, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in the sayings, and thou mightest overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness commanded the righteousness or commended the righteousness of God, what shall we say? 
Is God unrighteous who taketh the vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For uh, then, how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Paul's pretty upset now. He's speaking to his people, and he's, uh, he's got some things that he wants to say, four things in particular that he wants to say. He wants to really lay the foundation in regards to the Jewish people in relationship to their religion, that their religion, Judaism, will not save them. The only true salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And in relationship to that, we can also tie this fact to that statement. Any other religion that exists in our culture today, any religion, every religion that ties anything to Jesus Christ is a false religion. Anything that adds to the gospel or takes away from the gospel is adding and taking away from the words of very God. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Not trying to be ugly, not trying to be mean, not trying to pick a fight, not trying to upset anybody. I'm just simply saying in accordance to the Word of God, in this particular section, as well as Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's imperative that we understand that any religion out there that exists in our culture today, in the first century or the 21st century, will always lead you away from God and not to God. The only, the only true religion that leads you to God is Christianity. That being Jesus Christ went to Calvary, took your sins, my sins, our sins, placed them upon himself, and died for the entire world. That whosoever believes on Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, and I just want you to see four things that Paul talks about in relationship to the judgment of God as to why religion does not save you, specifically through the eyes of the Jewish religion, through the eyes of Judaism. Why is God's condemnation, why is God's judgment upon the Jews? There are four reasons. Notice what Paul says in relationship to this statement. Number one, they stand under the righteous judgment of God because of their proud Jewish claims. They stand under the judgment of God because of their proud Jewish claims. Claims, And we could put it this way too. We could say that they're under the judgment of God because of their proud religious claims. We see it in verses 17 through 20 in chapter number 2. Paul identifies many proud Jewish claims that they're holding on to in relationship to their salvation. Let me show it to you if I could. Number 1 is found in verse number 17. They call themselves Jews. You see it there? The Bible says, Behold, but wait, Paul says, are you called a Jew? And there were many called Jews there in Rome. Are you called a Jew? You see, they were proud of their nationality. 
here today, we're standing and celebrating Veterans Day that was on Friday. And, and man, we, we celebrate and we are grateful, thankful, even proud Americans. But as a Christian American, we clearly understand that we're not saved because of our military. We're not saved because of our president. We are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of talk today. There's a lot of talk uh, today in regards to this Christian nationality that exists today and trying to promote that as a religion. Let me just go on record to say, I am a flag-waving American. I thank God that I live in the United States of America. I praise the Lord that I, I live in the South. I thank God that we're in Northeast Georgia. I praise the Lord that we're here. I am grateful to be an American, but I'm more thankful that I'm a Christian. And I don't want to combine the two. I am a Christian American. And it is my Christianity, that is the fact that I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ that saves me, not that I am a, a citizen of the United States of America that saves me. And, and that's what the Jews were saying. Because we are citizens of the Jewish nation, we are God's chosen people, and the word Jew became and was denoted, if you would, with all the particular special favors that God had presented to them and they took that and says that we can do no wrong. Let me just go on record to say as Americans, the fact of the matter is we're heading in that same direction. We think as the United States of American citizens that we can do no wrong. We're all right. And yet you look at our culture today and how our morality has dipped, even our belief in God has dipped. Just a few years ago, over 90%, uh, according to polls, over 90% of the people believed in God. Today, it's more around the, 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 uh, the percentage of 81% of Americans believe in God. Now, while that's still in the majority, we must take in consideration there are even those of that 81% that are not in church today. We're proud. In our religious claims. The Jews were proud in their religious claims. Their Jewish claims also said, number two, not only were they called Jews that thought that meant something, but they also rested in the law. You see it there in verse number 17? They rested in the law. Uh, this denotes uh, th that on the law, they thought that is what saved them. And the Bible is very clear. The law cannot save. No one can keep the law. The law is a mirror that we look into and go, man, it's impossible for us to keep this. Jesus brought clarity to this as on the Sermon on the Mount as he was there and as he was preaching. He simply said, he said, you've heard uh, that thou uh, shalt not kill. But if you have hatred in your heart for someone else, you're guilty of murder. You cannot keep the law. And yet Paul says that you guys are resting in that. You guys are, are leaning back, putting your faith, and that's what faith is, resting, resting. You are resting in the law. You're resting in the Ten Commandments. You're resting in those over 600 laws that the Pharisees have created. And you think that's what's going to make you right with God? No, you cannot be saved by resting in your religion. Number three, he also says you also boast of God. Here's another claim. 
They boast of God. They believed in the true God of heaven. They boasted about the glory of God and the knowledge of the true God. While other nations were in darkness, they boasted on this. And on the account that the Jew himself elevated himself above everybody else, and instead of saying God, in the Old Testament, it is very clear, it is very plain, that God's plan was for the nations. Did God choose the Jews? Yes. But he chose the Jews for a specific purpose, to be priests and kings that they may lead others to God himself. But we find the Jewish people boasting in God, saying we've got something that you don't and you can't have it. Number four, the fourth thing he said is, you you also boast in the fact that you know God's will. Look at what he says there in verse number 18. He says, and thou knowest his will. You knew the will of God. You knew the prophets would stand and say that, the, that he's coming, the Messiah's coming. You heard what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, that he is coming. You heard that he would die. You heard that he would be crucified. All the things in the Old Testament point to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And you knew the will of God. And you boasted on the will of God. And you put all of your hopes and claims that God in His will would bring for you a commander that would rule over Rome and set you guys up as the ultimate nation. When God doesn't want to rule the nation, He wants to rule your heart. And then he says a fifth thing. He says that you also, notice what he says in verse 18. He says you also uh, approve the things that are more excellent. They approve the superior things. They believe God's ways were right. They believe that God's ways were approved, approved. And they would hold on to that, that God's way is certain, that God's way is right. And basically what Paul is saying here is, how could you be so right, yet be so wrong? And then look at what he says there in the latter part of the verse. He goes on to say, uh, in regards to guiding people, he says in verse number 19, he says, are you confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to them which are in darkness? Again, you guys are so boastful. You're so proud of the fact that you've got all of these things in your favor. And yet you still, you guide the blind and bring light to those that are in darkness. You instruct instructors of the foolish and you're the teachers of babes. And here's the problem. As good as that is, you boast about it. You're proud of it. And you are resting in the fact that you think that because you are a Jew, because you are, as we can apply it today, because you're religious, because you go to church every Sunday, because you have 15 Bibles on your shelf, uh, because you listen to, uh, to, to, to Charles Stanley when he comes on, because you participate in all of these wonderful Bible studies, all of these things, you do all of these things religiously. 
and you're still under the condemnation of God. The Jews were, and, and I would even say as a, as, a, as a preacher, are very proud people. They thought that they were right with God and better than the Gentiles. They thought they were right with God and better than anyone. Many religious people today have very similar feelings towards the non-religious. At least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like the heathen, we say. At least I'm not like, at least I'm not like, I mean, I, I'm here. I, I'm in church. I'm trying to change my life for the better. Turn over a new leaf. And Paul is saying, turning over a new leaf is not what gets you into heaven. Listen, religious person and specifically the Jews. He says the fact that your pride has arisen up in your heart and you are a proud religious person, you stand under the condemnation of God. Number two, there's a second thing I want you to see here. Uh, I also want you to see their poor Jewish example. Their poor Jewish example. They stand under the judgment of God because of their poor Jewish example. I could also uh, say in the text, we could say it today, their poor religious example. In verses 21 through 24, Paul highlights five areas that they were to be an example of, and they were poor in this example. Number one, the first thing we see is that they claim to be teachers, yet they did not do what they taught others. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 21. He says, Thou therefore that teachest another, do you teach uh, thou not thyself? What, what about you that are teaching? Are you not teaching yourself? They preached against stealing, yet they were notorious for their dishonest and greedy dealings. Uh, some Jews robbed God. According to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, Malachi said, you're stealing from God because you're not giving in your tithing. Uh, they robbed others uh, of their own uh, parental support. You remember uh, when Jesus uh, told uh, the story, if you would, of the, of the wayward son. What was the sin of the wayward son? He says, I wish you were dead, Dad. Give me my inheritance now. He stole from his dad so he could fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul is simply saying in relationship to this, you teach others not to steal, but you steal yourself. You're guilty, he says. You're guilty. Number three, the third thing he says is they uh, said that adultery was wrong, yet they lusted in their own hearts. And many were secretly immoral. Look at what the Bible says in verse number uh, 22. He goes on to say this. Thou sayest that a man should not commit adultery. Does thou commit adultery? Uh, you remember uh, the story of the Pharisees when they caught uh, the lady in the very act. But the man was nowhere to be found in the Bible. Where was he at? And how did they catch her in the act? Somebody had to be watching. And all the ones that brought from the eldest, and we don't know how many that they were, but we know Jesus, remember, he was there riding with his finger in the sand, and he's drawing around, and, and here are all these Pharisees with this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, thrown down amongst, the Jew, amongst these Jewish religious people, ready to throw the first stone. Jesus never looks up. 
And the Bible says that they caught her in the very act. Somebody was watching more than one somebody's. And Jesus simply said, you that are without sin, you cast the first stone. And the scripture says one by one, they dropped their rocks and they turned and they walked away. Why? Why? Because there was sin in their heart. What is the most obvious conclusion to the story? The sin in their heart was that they were watching, lusting. Jesus is very clear in regards to that statement, and it's beautiful to see as he looks up and says, Woman, where are your accusers? She says, They've all gone. And he says, I condemn you, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say, Go and go to the temple and start worshiping Judaism. No, no, he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Your sins have been forgiven. Jesus being the only one to forgive sins. We see here in the text that it's very clear that when Jesus speaks in regards to adultery, he is saying the fact that Paul is saying the very fact that these Jewish religious people were committing the very atrocities that they were against. Then notice what he says. There's another one here in the text. Uh, He goes on to say uh, there in verse uh, number uh, 22, he says, they hated adultery. You see it there? They hated adultery, yet they committed sacrilege. Look at what the scripture says. Again, in verse number 22, thou committeth adultery, but y'all abhorrest idols. You can't stand the sight of idols. But you commit sacrilege. What is, what is sacrilege? What are you, what are you talking about uh, there uh, in, re, in response to this? Sacrilege is to rob the temples or to be deprived of something that's sacred in its character. So while they would not bow down to idols, they robbed God of the honor that was due to Him. How did they do that? By putting other things and pleasures ahead of God. What, was, what did they put ahead of God? Their laws. Their sacraments. What does religion do today? It commits sacrilege. It takes the, sacra- the sacraments that they put in place and they put that before God. Uh, we just uh, celebrated the Reformation, uh, uh, which is the 31st of October, where Martin Luther uh, nailed the 95 points uh, uh, that the Roman Catholic Church were doing wrong. 95 of them nailed them up to the church house door. In such a way to say, look, if we are going to be true Christians, we cannot, we cannot let these 95 things get in front of God. And we have for years. And look where it's led us. It led us into the dark ages. Martin Luther was clear to simply say, look, in regards to this issue of us coming out of darkness into the light, we've got to put aside all of these things that we've put ahead of God. And to God be the glory, we came out of the dark ages by the simple perspective that everyone now has the Word of God and we can read it for ourselves. And it is very clear, it is very clear that religion can't save you. He tells us here in the text, we should not rob God. And we do so by not giving Him honor. 
Verse 23, look, here's the fifth one. They boasted that they followed the law, yet they dishonored God by breaking the law. Did you see it there in verse number 23? He goes on to say in the text, he says, Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it was written. Paul, no doubt, is thinking about Old Testament Scripture when he makes this statement. He's trying to drive home uh, this point that the religion has destined them for the judgment of God. And it's the judgment of God is resting upon them because not only have they condemned themselves, but they're causing other nations to blaspheme God. Uh, two, two stories that are fascinating in relationship to this. Uh, one is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We, we know this to be the section where, where Samuel, the man of God, stands before David and says, Thou art the man. You remember the story? Uh, we talked about it just a little bit. We, we, here is David, King David. He has done a great great, terrible sin before God and God alone, he has had an illicit affair with a married woman. He has had that married woman's husband killed in battle, committed murder. Now the woman is pregnant with a child. The man of God approaches the king and tells him again a story which puts the king so angry. He is irate over the fact that there has been a crime that has been committed under his nose. And he wants to make it right. And so he asked the man of God, Who is it? Who committed this crime? Who did this terrible thing that I as king can make right? And the pastor said, You, preacher, are you king? King, you did it. You're the man that did the crime. You saw Bathsheba. You took her as though she was yours and she wasn't. And then you had her husband killed. And now she is with child. I'm sorry, David. The child's not going to make it. And then, and then notice, notice what he says. Let's uh, turn over to, to, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. No, notice what happens here. Beginning in verse number 13. I specifically want you to look at verse number 14. But let's begin in verse number 13. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 13. It's worthy of our attention because it relates to what Paul is saying to his Jewish family. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. The baby's going to die, but you're not going to die. And then look at verse 14. Watch this, though. The preacher says, but here's the deal. Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So, so two things. He says, because you've done this as a king, 
And all these nations have watched. These nations now are going to blaspheme God. This is what breaks my heart as a Christian American. You look around the landscape of Christianity today. and The number of pastors that stood behind this sacred desk and committed sacrilege. The number of pastors that have fallen because of adultery. The number of pastors who have fallen because of alcoholism. They have caused others to blaspheme God. I'll never be a Christian because, look, do you see them? They're no better than we are. The hypocrisy that has filled the climate of Christianity today has soured the gospel to the, ta to the taste of lost people. There's another passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5. The children of Israel, we are, they find themselves in captivity and they're grumbling and complaining because the Babylonians are so terrible and so rude. And, and the question comes back to God. He says, God, are you going to allow for this to happen? And God simply says, yes, I have allowed for this to happen. I've allowed for it to happen so that you'd get right with me. But in doing so, in allowing this to happen, the nations are blaspheming my name. Paul points his finger at his religious brothers and sisters, and he just simply says this. He says, in relationship to your religiosity, you stand guilty before God, and you will not, you will not be right with God because of your proud Jewish claims. You will not be right with God because of your poor Jewish example. Then he goes on and he sits two more things. Verses 25 through 29 deal with the perverted Jewish reasoning. They perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ and began to, began to enter in this Jewish reasoning that their circumcision in some way would save them. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we see their, their posed Jewish objections. Paul as an attorney thinks about the questions that they're going to ask, and he lays out their questions in verses 1 through 8. I'm out of time, but I wanted to just go ahead and mention this, and maybe I can come back to it later and, and deal with it at a later time. But the fact of the matter is simply this. Paul is very clear and very plain in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He simply says, your religion will send you to hell. Your religion has put you under condemnation of God. Unless you get right with God. Remember, Paul is making his way to Romans chapter 10. And he does have a long way to go. But in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, he says this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. It's the same Lord over all, and he's rich unto all that call upon his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's the remedy? What do we take from this? Jesus is the only way of salvation. I know that in our congregation, I know we've got family members that hold to Catholicism. We've got family members that 
hold to Jehovah Witness. We've got family members that hold to other religious beliefs. Here's my only thing, church. My only thing. How does your religion stack up to the Word of God? That's it. That's, that's it. Take the religion. Line it up in relationship to the Word of God. Paul, again, not only deals with this in Romans, he also deals with it in the book of Galatians when he just simply is testifying to the fact that religion cannot save you. And yet, somehow, in our, in our minds, we think that we have to be religious in order for God to approve us. And God is simply saying through His Word, my approval of you has already been set. Do you not understand that at, at the very moment, at the very moment of, of the sin in the Garden of Eden, when man fell, at the very fall of man, God could have annihilated us. But in His love, He turns and He says, I am going to send a Messiah. And He will set you free. But there's going to be death, there's going to be heartache, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be trials, there's going to be all of these things. But the Messiah is coming to set you free in your heart. It's not some outward religious uh, experience, it's not some sacrament that you perform, it's not the partaking of the Lord's Supper, it's not baptism, it's not circumcision, uh, you, you, it's not blank. You fill in the blank with any religious practice. It's not confession. It's not uh, the rosary. It's none of that. What it is, is Jesus. He paid the price. The Bible says, For as where one man's sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But God commended or demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to ask you a question, dear friend. What are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your trust in? Are you putting your faith and trust in religion? Or are you putting your faith and trust in the relationship you have with Jesus? If you're here today and say, I do not have a relationship with Jesus, you are destined for hell. And God's desire for you today, sir, God's desire for you, ma'am, is that you be saved. That you be saved. Could we bow for prayer? Father, I pray that if someone here today doesn't know the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day they receive you as their personal Savior. Lord, I, I ask you, Lord, please, if there's someone lost here today that's trusting in religion, that the scales would fall from their eyes. Not that it's anything that this preacher said, but it's everything that your word says that they'd be saved. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.